And so I'm continuing to speak about maximizing your gifts and callings. And this is the fourth in the series. It's the fourth in the series. And last week I got going in it, but I'm now talking about part two of maximizing your gifts and callings. The first two weeks we were looking at understanding your calling. Now we started looking at maximizing your gifts and calling. So it's part two. Amen. I want to encourage you. There's certain messages that are important to listen to multiple times. I was talking when I was traveling with Kwile and he was saying there's certain messages he listens to three or four times to get it into your inner person. Amen. How many of you know that you can go somewhere to be equipped, but when you are being equipped in your local church, the messages are for you. I might sit down and get revelation from the Lord and think, oh Lord, this is nice, juicy revelation, but he's giving it to me because he loves you. He's giving it to me because there's someone he's identified who needs to hear that message. Amen. So let's not take lightly the messages that are preached here. If you miss a Sunday, if you miss two Sundays, get, get a hold of the word and say, God, I'm expectant. There's something there for me. Amen. If you have to listen to it three times to get it into your inner person, let's do that. Because we're serious about Jesus. Amen. I want to start off by saying to you that a gift is what God has given to you. So he gives you certain gifts. A gift is something that God has given to you. You didn't manufacture it on your own. Remember we spoke about that. It's a supernatural endowment over you. A gift is something God has given to you. But your calling is where God gives you to people as a gift. So when we're talking about your calling, you are the gift. When someone says, I'm an apostle, you're an apostle to some people. When someone says, I'm a teacher, they become the gift to people. Is everyone following? You see, with your calling, you are now the gift. Now, here's the thing. You are called according to his purpose. So the starting point in understanding your calling is figuring out what are the purposes of God in the nations? What is God's purpose in the nation? And your calling is according to his purpose. That's why Paul the, Paul the Apostle says, I was called according to his purpose. So when someone says, I have a calling, ask them, how does that calling fit into the purposes of God? The starting point of every calling is God's purposes. You see, God has a purpose for this nation. And then he looks for people who can help him to fulfill that purpose. Amen. You see, your calling is always linked to a need in God's mind. Your calling is always linked to what? To a need in God's mind. So you can't say, I'm a teacher of the word, and then have no answer if I say to you, so who's ignorant around you? God calls certain people to be teachers because he recognizes that there is a gap where there's ignorance, where there are people out there who are biblically illiterate. Therefore, he has to raise up teachers to minister to them. Amen? He has to raise up teachers who will equip other teachers to teach each other. Come on now. We only need doctors because there's a need, because people get sick. We only need pastors because people need to be cared for. And we need people who can equip people to care for each other. Amen? Amen. So in God's mind, he has a purpose. He has something he wants to undo that the devil has done. And so he will raise you up. He will raise me up to address the issue. Make sure that when you're figuring out your calling, it's not detached or divorced from the purposes of God. Now, there are people with a gift but no sense of calling. The two need to come together. You can be gifted in a certain way but have no sense of calling or not know your calling. Someone can say, I'm a teacher of the word. They will say, so what are you called to and who are you called to? And they can't answer. Someone can say, I'm a kingdom financier. Who are you called to? And what are you called to? And where are you called? So someone can acknowledge their gifts. They can see their gifts. Their gifts are evident, but they have no sense of calling. It's important to see the link between your gifts 
and your calling. Amen? Now, when we speak about callings, there's the general calling. And sometimes you see that in scripture, if you're studying this issue of calling, you'll see that there's the general calling. The calling to be born again. We were called to be born again. Amen. Then there's the Christian calling where we are called to be like Christ. So very often when you see that word calling and called to be, it's talking about it in general. Amen. It's talking about the call to be born again. It's talking about the call to be like Christ and to do what, generally speaking, all Christians are supposed to do. But what we're talking about here is known as the vocational calling. It's calling to work for Christ. Amen? That's specifically what we're talking about. And every single believer has a calling to work for Christ. Amen? In whatever sphere you're in, whether it's as a business person. In some Bible schools, they actually ask you, do you want, after you've, um, after you've graduated, they'll ask you, do you want to start a Bible school? Do you want to start a church? Or do you want to start a kingdom business? They ask you guys that, don't they? Cindy, they ask you guys at Bible school. Cindy's going to Bible school, for those who don't know. <laughs> She's giving me that look like, like, oh, now people know. Now everyone knows. Pressure, pressure. But I'm not pastoral, pastor. Pressure. Okay? That's what they do. So when we're talking about being called to work for Christ, that's for every Christian. So you can't say to me, I'm just an ordinary believer, Paul. I just want to be like Christ. My calling is to be like Christ. Yes, all of us are called to be like Christ. But you have a mission. Please say to the person next to you, you have a mission. Now here's the thing. All calls, every call demands a response. The Bible talks about the calling you have received. Every call demands what? A response. So when God calls you, you can either say no, or you can say not yet, Lord. Or you can say, ah, Lord, I don't know. But the sad thing is that whether it's no, it's one of those few cases in life where, the, where no and not yet, Lord, has, the simil has similar consequences. Are you following me? Let me explain it this way. God has a purpose for this nation right now. And God is looking for people, catch this, who will fulfill that purpose. But it's time specific. Yeah. It's because of what's happening right now. Yeah. So if God says, my, my eyes are roaming across the earth, looking for someone who can stand in the gap, I need a watchman. He doesn't need a watchman for next year. Hey. Next year we'll have other issues. Right now the call is to be a watchman now. Hey. And so what happens is when you say, ah, not yet, Lord, ah, we'll see. Hey, Lord, I'm, trying, I'm still trying to figure out my calling. But you've been spending the last 15 years trying to figure out your calling, which is made clear to you. You now have to ask yourself, what are the consequences of that? I'll tell you what the consequences are. God will either wait for you if he's quite flexible. You know, sometimes he can be quite flexible. But you might catch the tail end of that purpose. So you might not be efficient. You might end up being, you know, like when you have a 20-year-old, someone was explaining to me, someone was explaining to me what school was like back in the day because of the whole apartheid system and so on, how they'll be in class with people who are like, you know, this person is like maybe 12 years old, but they're in class with 20-year-olds. How many of you in that situation? 25-year-olds, how many of you in that situation? All right, some people were like that. So it's like a 20-year-old being in grade one. You get what I'm saying, right? In terms of the efficiency of God using you, you're left with just a few years maybe. Or maybe you are then trained up and now you step out, but your message is not relevant. Because God had called you for a specific time and then now wants to use you in maybe something else. The calling of God is time specific. Please catch this. The calling of God is time specific. When God had in mind that this is now the time for my son to come into the earth. This is, this is destiny time. When he then spoke to Mary. What would have happened if Mary didn't say what she said? Because Mary said, be it unto me according to thy word. What will some of you say when your children ask you, mom, dad, how did you respond to the call of God? Would you be able to say like Mary, be it unto me according to thy word? 
Now, what would God have done if Mary had chilled? If Mary had said, ah, let me just figure it out. And God is thinking, but my purposes are now. Would God have waited for Mary? And then now Mary is 70 years old and he's like, oh, now you're ready, Mary. Now let Jesus come. I can't give you the answers, but I'm saying just think about these types of things. Right now, there are issues our nation is facing in government, in business. How many of you know that the issues we're facing today are not the same issues we faced in 94? They're different types of issues. The issues youth are facing today are not the same issues youth were facing in 76. So every call demands a response. How are you responding right now? To the call how are you responding to the call and every calling has an element of risk every calling has an element of what risk and some of you the way you're wired you're very risk averse so some of you are called to be an entrepreneur but but you're, you just want security how many of you know that you'll never make a lot of money if everything is risk averse there are certain people I say to them, I remember in my first consulting experience in the year 2000, I went and I interviewed someone working for a steel company and I asked them and I said, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? And this lady said, you know what, Paul, I do what I do really well. I see myself just still doing the same thing. And her responsibility was dishing out stationery to everyone. She was in charge of the stationery. And I remember I couldn't identify with that. For the next 10 years, you just want to be dishing out stationery to everyone. But I realized that for some people, they need to feel secure. And their mindset and their dream and their vision is, as long as I've got a job, that's fine. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about callings. We're talking about supernatural endowment. We're talking about the greatness that's in you coming out. Amen? One of my biggest fears is to be on my deathbed one day and to look back and to think my life was just average. My life was just average. One of my goals, can I let you in? One of my goals is basically for the number of books I do to never be less than my age. So right now I'm playing catch up because I'm 42 this year. I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm 42. I'll share, you the, I'll share with you the secret. <laughs> one day, maybe one on one. <laughs> Jokes. All right. I've always had a baby face sort of thing. You know. All right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. So we're now on, by, by, by the end of September, by September we'll be about, on about 28 books. I'll be on about 28 books. So I'm playing catch-up, playing catch-up, playing catch-up. So if I die at 90, I have to have done at least 90 books. It's just a goal-setting thing for me, psychologically. Does that make sense? Now, I do this. I'm always preaching. I'm always speaking. So I'm, I'm supposed to be developing material. What's that thing for you? Are you a serial entrepreneur who's supposed to be starting lots of businesses? What's your goal? How many do you want to start? Be specific about it. Amen? People like Richard Branson, we're looking at his biography. I think he started about 65 businesses. We only know about Virgin. People mainly know about Virgin, but he started a whole lot of others. What's your goal? What's your dream? There are people that are smarter than, that are not as smart as you and me, but because of their courage, because they're risk takers, and I'm not just talking about carelessness, I'm talking about calculated risk taking. It's one of the marks of an entrepreneur. I think I'm speaking to entrepreneurs today. Right? One of the marks of an entrepreneur, one of the aptitudes of an entrepreneur is calculated risk taking. If you want to be a great entrepreneur, take calculated risks. If you play it safe, you'll find yourself there at 80. I was playing it safe. It's been found that people on their deathbed today, that you don't hear them saying, I wish I hadn't taken that many risks. You hear a lot of them saying, I wish I'd taken more risks. And how many of you know that the way you spell, spell faith? How do you spell faith? R-I-S-K, risk. Amen? It was a risk for us in 2010, moving from friends, moving from a whole lot of people we knew who we could have started a church with in Joburg, moving our kids from schools in four ways, in, in Bryanston, those areas, and coming to Centurion. But it was normal. The spirit of faith was there. And people say, that's really bold of you. Can you speak Afrikaans? How will you cope? Can you? Amen? 
But when in 2010, when I made the decision, when we made the decision to say we will start the church and we were thinking, yeah, but surely the business should go to another level before we start the church. The business only took off when we made the decision to come to Centurion in 2010. It only took off to its next level. It was doing okay, but it went to another level when we decided, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. And all these things will be added to you. And some of you want the things first. Amen? Amen. I'm just passionate. I'm not shouting at you. <laughs> I think you're cool. I think you're cool. I was saying to Juan early on, I love colored people. I love colored people. Okay, so I love you guys. <laughs> and colored people love me because if it wasn't for people like me and Trace, there'll be no colored people. Jokes. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist that one. <laughs> so here's my declaration over you. May you not just be a passenger in life. Rather, may history record that you were here and stepped into your calling. May your life not be ordinary. To me, may your life not be ordinary. Tabatso, may your life not be ordinary. I break the spirit of being average over you in Jesus' mighty name. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Remember I mentioned this in point number 8 I think it was last week. Right? Now watch this. Not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. Your calling is not because of anything you've done. When your mindset is I'm called to this because I'm a nice guy. When people say, why are you walking in such grace and such power and such authority? The moment you allow your flesh to tell you and you receive what your flesh is telling you, that it's because I did this, it's because I did that. Do you know what will happen? The day you mess up, you lose your confidence. The day you mess up, you lose your confidence. I told you the other week that the gifts and calling of God, the Bible says in the book of Romans, are irrevocable. In other words, he doesn't change his mind concerning them. Now, some of you are like, oh, because of what I did yesterday, now the calling has disappeared. The calling is still there. I'm going to explain to you that sometimes when we mess up in our lives, it affects the degree to which we maximize on the gifts. There are things that you can do that grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who carries the gifts through us. Amen? There are things that you can do that short-circuit the anointing in your life, but the calling is still there. God hasn't changed his mind. It's one thing to be called. It's another thing to maximize the calling. But it's because of his own purpose and grace. And that's point number nine. So we're sitting at point number nine. Your calling is completely based on God's will and his goodness. Isn't that beautiful? Some of you are like, but how can I be called to be a pastor? I did this and I did that. Your calling to be a pastor was before you did this and did that. It wasn't based on your performance. God will always give you the grace you need to fulfill his calling. It says it was because of his own purpose and grace. He will always give you the grace that you need to fulfill your calling. Our flesh wants us to think we did something special to entice God to call us. You didn't. And that's why when some of you received a clear calling from the Lord, you were shocked, weren't you? How many of you have received a clear calling from God? How many of you were shocked when it happened? Okay, okay some people are like, no. You know, I'm God's gift to mankind. Of course you do. In fact, I actually was surprised. I thought it was too small, the calling. No. Uh -uh. You see, this mindset makes you feel like you are uncalled every time you mess up. Try to figure out what's God's purpose in this hour. What's God's agenda right now? And make sure that your calling is aligned to that. Amen? I think God loves it. God loves it when we are seeking his face concerning his agenda instead of just focused on our own agenda and trying to twist his arm to do our thing. Amen? In verse 10 it says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, 
Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, victory belongs to Jesus, amen, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Every calling is necessitated by a need. Without sickness, there's no need for a doctor. Why is it important to have that revelation? It's important to have that revelation so that you know that you are necessary. Yeah. Say to the person next to you, I'm necessary. Amen. Say to someone else, I am necessary. Amen. I am needed. Number 10, you must understand your gift mix. You must understand your what? Your gift mix. You see, sometimes we look at people and say, oh, there's that evangelist over there. And then the guy comes and you see him prophesying. And you're like, huh? But I thought he was an evangelist. Do you know what's happening? We're talking here about gift mix. And some of you found, some people say to me, so, so I, I did that spiritual gifts assessment. Please don't forget to also do the passion tests at the back. I did the spiritual gifts assessment, but I saw that I had two or three that were equal. How many of you found that when you did it? Well, you had a few that were equal. That's normal, it's natural. Because there's a mix of gifts that God places in you. And guess what? It's not the same as anyone else. When God made you, he broke the mold. There's no replica. There's no replica. You can have two people with a teaching gift, but their individual style is different. One screams and, and shouts, but he's still teaching. The other one is very soft-spoken, very monotonous in his style, but he's still teaching, and you are blessed by both. Amen? Amen. So we're talking here about gift mix. Understand your gift mix. Let me explain to you in verse 11, and this is a very precious verse for me because a number of years ago, God spoke to me clearly through this verse in terms of the calling on my life. And here Paul the Apostle says, and of this gospel, say, and of this gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed. Say, I was appointed. When we were growing up, there was a music group called Appointed. I was appointed, now watch this, a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Now there's so much revelation here. This is speaking about gift mix. Does he say he was appointed just as one thing? There was a mixture, wasn't there? He says, I was appointed as a herald. What's a herald? In the Greek, it's the word keruso. Say the person next to you, keruso. Keruso is to preach. It means to publicly proclaim. You don't use the word keruso when you're just talking about having a small group and chatting to people. He was called as one who would preach with conviction, as one who would publicly proclaim and persuade people concerning the gospel. Amen? Some of you have been called and appointed to Keruso. And then the next thing he says is, and as an apostle, right? And then he says, and I'm not going to go into apostle right now, and then he says, and a teacher, Didasco. Say to the person next to you, Didasco. Yes. Sounds like the name of a soccer team, hey? <laughs> Let's start a soccer team, guys. Let's start our own team. We've got good soccer players here. There, there's Lysias, there's Kwale, there are other people. Who wants to be mentioned? Who else? All right. <laughs> like, How come you didn't mention me? Also me. All right. Blessing. Okay, blessing. Okay, you're skilled. Right? Didasco. And we can call it Didasco. Didasco, the root word there is Dao, which means to learn. So it's, Didasco is a teacher. It's one who causes others to learn. Isn't that wonderful? He instructs. It's someone who instructs but causes others to learn. It's a disseminator of information. So he said he was a Caruso. He was a preacher, a herald, but also an instructor, a teacher. Isn't that powerful? That was his gift mix. There were other people who were heralds, but not necessarily with the gift of teaching. You know the people I'm talking about. They shout and scream, but there's no instruction. They're people like that. It's okay. They're just not gifted with the other one. Amen? So he says he was called to this. Do you know what I find so powerful? What I find powerful about this is he starts off by saying, and of this gospel I was appointed. You are appointed of this gospel. 
He wasn't called to be a teacher teaching other stuff. He says, and of this gospel, I was appointed to preach it. I was appointed to teach it, the gospel. You know what I'm seeing here? A lot of people have a gift, but they use the gift for the wrong thing. You can have someone who's a singer. They're naturally talented as a singer, but they just sing in the nightclubs. Because they have no revelation that it was for this gospel that I was appointed. If God has called you to the nightclubs to sing and bring deliverance to people, that's fine. You must know what you're called to. But if you're called to sing in a certain context and you use your gift in another context, you don't fulfill your calling. Amen? He knew that it was for this gospel he was appointed to be a preacher. There are a lot of people who have been called to be preachers, but all they're doing is motivational talks. They're using that preaching gift. They're using a teaching gift, but in the wrong context. Some are called to both. Make sure you don't use your gifts in the wrong context. There's a gift and there's a platform. Amen? He says, it was for this gospel, and of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. My question to you is, do you know the blend and the combination of the gifts that you carry? That's why we gave you those booklets. So you know the blend of gifts and the combo that you have. There's some people who are prophetic teachers. That's, that's their mantle. Amen? So my wife carries that mantle of prophet and teacher, that combo. And I'm sure you see it. Sometimes when she's doing certain things, it's more the prophet's anointing at work. Other times she's doing something else, it's more the teaching anointing at work. Amen? There are times when you go and minister elsewhere and you have to know, what am I functioning in? When I was at Sharpville yesterday, when we prayed beforehand, I had to get a sense of what mantle am I going to be functioning in based on my gift mix. Amen? Now, what are the factors that affect your current effectiveness with regards to your gift mix? How I many of you want to know that? The factors that will affect your current effectiveness with regards to your gift mix. The first is there's the gift. Let me just unpack this a bit. There's the gift. The gift is that supernatural endowment that's on you. Okay, we've been talking about that quite a bit. So whatever your gift is will determine certain things. The second thing to think through is the growth phase that you're in. The growth phase that you're in. You might be gifted, but you're in a season where you need to be mentored. You see, some people are gifted in a certain way, but they don't realize that, oh, I actually need to be mentored right now. They think it's time to launch out. So my question to you is, do you know your growth phase? Some people are still wanting to go and do some course and then a second course and then another course and then a degree around it before they step out. Who said you had to do that? If God has said you need training in that particular arena, then go for it and his grace will be with you. But if you're just avoiding stepping out and doing what God has called you to do, and you're procrastinating by keeping yourself busy. No, I first want to do another six years of Bible school and then another 10 years being mentored by person X. Then it's kingdom come and you haven't done anything. Amen? So what growth phase are you in? If you're in a growth phase where you need mentorship in your arena, are you looking for those mentors? The third thing to understand in terms of gift mix is your talent. Remember I said to you, your gift is what you're supernaturally endowed with. But then there's also your natural talent. And I've said to you that very often your natural talent can open doors for your gifts to operate. Amen? Your natural talent can do what? It can open doors for you, for your gift to operate. So there might be someone who has a strong gift when it comes to discerning of spirits and God wants to use them to bring deliverance to people. But you know what? Their natural talent is they're just brilliant as a singer, as a vocalist. And you see them going to various places to do a concert or to sing. But that opens doors for the gift to function and people experience deliverance. Amen? So your talent is what you can do naturally. You can do it without much effort, right? It's to do with how your brain is wired. It's the way you think. 
You know, there's some kids, for example, you look at them and you want to give them a big spank because it seems like they're lying. But when you look a bit deeper, you start seeing that this, this kid has got a gift of storytelling. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, there's some kids like that. They'll come and they'll make up stories. My dad has got this big elephant. Yeah, we've got a pet elephant at home and he's got this and so on. And you actually start seeing that this child has got a gift of storytelling. There are other kids who will just come and they'll just say, we've got a small table at home and we've got a fridge and the stuff and they'll just say what they see. Now, obviously, as the child gets older, you need to address issues of lying and saying, you know, are you really telling the truth here? <laughs> but at the same time, don't squash that gift because they've got a vivid imagination. Are you following me this morning? They've got a vivid imagination. So when we talk about natural talent, some people are just brilliant at telling stories. Other people are just brilliant with their hands. People like Juan over here, good at fixing things, fixing his own car, fixing his, wish I could just carry him in a bag wherever I go. I love colored people, I love colored people. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Amen? So we see an interesting thing here that your talent is to do with how you are naturally wired. Some people will try and learn the piano and it's like, yo, how do I just move my fingers around this thing? Some of you are raw right now, what Trace prophesied over, over um, Stuart. Some people will come raw and you just see they've just got it in them. And sometimes that is passed, natural talent is often passed genetically, passed down genetically, isn't it? Sometimes we'll say to our kids, ah, they're just so good at maths like their grandfather. that's natural talent and there's a place for it for some of you it's making things with your hands some of you it's speaking convincing convincingly and persuading people and it's something no one really teaches you you can go from good to great with training and I'd encourage you to do so but your natural talent it's almost like something that just is there you see it in idols sometimes don't you when people come and you can see there's the raw talent, yes, there's that discord here and there, but there's the raw talent. And then as they get the coaching, what happens? As they get the input, you're like, that person is just getting better and better as the weeks go by. That natural talent, and then it was developed. What are your natural talents? What are your natural talents? And then the next is something interesting, it's passion. I'm trying to help you to understand your gift mix. Because gift mix has to do with calling, it has to do with gift, it has to do with natural talent, but it also has to do with passion. What do we mean by passion? You can have two people who are gifted as teachers of the word, that's their gift. But one of them is so passionate about broken women, and the other one is so passionate about little kids. How many of you know that their approach will be different? Your passion is the fire in your belly. Your passion is that thing you get excited about. Your passion gives fuel to your gift and to your talent. You see, there's some people who are talented, but there's no passion for anything. There's some people who are talented, but they have no passion for anything. There's some people who have a gift, but they don't know what to do with that gift because they've got no passion. Your passion is what gets you up to say, I want to do this. All these guys who are here singing, they might have a natural talent in terms of musicality. But they'll have problems if they don't have a passion for a particular thing. Amen? So someone can get up here and sing, but their passion is to see other people enter into worship. Other people can get up here and sing, and their passion is to see people delivered. So the one who has a passion for deliverance will be frustrated if they're just singing one song and then song number two. That'll be the person who will say, hey, come on guys, we need to do something in between. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? It's important to understand what your passion is because your passion fuels the gift. Some people will say, but Paul, how do you do the things you do? Don't you get tired? Yes, of course I do get tired, but I'm so passionate about what I do. I'm so passionate about unlocking greatness in individuals, in teams, and in organizations. That's my passion. My gift is something else. This is so powerful if you understand this. Let's go a little bit deeper. Someone can have a passion to see young entrepreneurs who've come from a poor background go to their next level. That could be your passion, right? 
But one person's gift could be teaching. Another person's gift could be advising. Another person's gift could be being a weaver. Those of you who came to the ladies' talk, being a weaver. In other words, connecting these young people with funding. Now, we make the mistake where we don't link our gift or our talent with our passion. So what happens with some people is like, I'm so passionate about these young entrepreneurs. I'm so passionate. Then they try to be a weaver saying, I'm going to do fundraising for them. But you're not gifted that way. And how long does it last? After three months, you're like, God, there's a problem in this country when it comes to funding. Oh, we need to fund these people. No, if your gift was teaching, go and teach them. Other people, you see them, they're passionate about coaching business people. I'll use the same example. And their gift is teaching. But their individual style, which is one of the next things I want to cover, is they like doing things in small groups. But then they decide, oh, everyone is into blogging now. Let me start being a blogger. Then we try and read what you're reading. We don't understand the grammar, the sentence construction. We have problems. <laughs> Don't just do what everyone else is doing. God has given you a, a unique blueprint in terms of your gift mix. Amen? And you find fulfillment when you do that, not the other thing. So there's individual style. Some people are very structured and formal in their individual style. Other people are very informal. What's your style? You can have two people who are gifted musically and one of them blesses us because she sings soprano, hits the high notes. Other one blesses us in a special way because she's got a low-pitched voice. You've got different musicians like that. We have a bit of a problem when the one who's got a low-pitched voice idolizes being a soprano and singing descant and that's what they're always trying to do. But then they're screeching now. Amen? Amen. What's your individual style? Embrace it. Be comfortable with it. Another aspect of your gift mix is your experience. God will use your negative experiences and your positive experiences. You see, your experiences, this is when talent and passion meet reality. Experience helps you to perfect yourself. I was very fortunate because at a young age, when I was about 23 or so, I worked for a human resource consulting firm and I was heading up the training side of things. And I was very fortunate because I was exposed to doing things for government, for senior people, for uh, permanent secretaries, high levels. And it helped me in terms of just being confident from a young age. I remember I used to go to certain places and I would say to the people, okay, uh, I'm the guy who's come to teach you on leadership. And they'll say, are you the Mr. Nyamuda? We were, you know, pe people's low EQ. I won't mention what company it was. Are you the Mr. Nyamuda? We were expecting someone more. And they start acting like, okay, so I'm thinking, do you have to have a beard and a pot belly to teach on leadership? <laughs> then after I'd been addressing them for a few minutes, then they kept quiet. Amen? But the point I'm making is your experiences can help you with regards to maximizing your gifting your positive experiences and also your negative experiences. Some of you might have come from a background where you abused as a child and God uses that because you are now sensitive to people who've been abused and what do you want to do now? You want to go and help people. Taking revenge on the enemy, that's what it's called, isn't it? The very thing the enemy meant for harm in your life, those negative experiences, you are now a powerful minister in that particular area. What have you been through in your life? How many of you can identify with that? You've been through certain hardships and because of the hardships you've experienced, you want to help people. I speak to lots of people who say, you know what my passion is? I want to start businesses in rural areas. I grew up poor, Paul. Poor, poor, poor. But I've overcome certain hurdles, certain obstacles in my life. And as a result, I want to help other people. How many of you can identify with that? Huh? Yes, okay, there are a few hands. Now I'm seeing hands. Now I'm seeing hands. How many of you have been broken as a woman? You've been through difficulties and you've just got that heart for other women who are broken. Okay, I'm seeing more hands going up. 
God will use what the enemy meant for harm. He'll turn around and he'll use for good. And the devil will regret it. He'll be like, why did I ever try and do that in a, on a life? Amen? There's also training and mentorship. These are things that influence your effectiveness when it comes to your gift mix. There's training and mentorship. Have you ever met some people who are not really that gifted, but because they've received so much training, so much mentorship, they've been partakers of that person's grace wherever they were. And they're actually brilliant. And we make the mistake of just thinking it's all natural talent. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I was an athlete back in the day, all right, back at school, as many of you know, and what happened was I look at the type of training the kids are having nowadays, and I think if I had that type of coaching, how many of you are feeling me on this one? If I had that type of coaching, I think I would be better. I think I would have been better. During his holiday, part of his holiday, my son Samuel is going for a long jump clinic. Did we ever have that, guys, when we were at school? In the holiday, a special long jump clinic where you're paying extra cash for it. Amen? We used to just be told long jump, just, just jump. Just hit that ball. <laughs> hit that board and jump. Just jump as far as you can. Amen? And we'll just go for it. Much later, friends of mine will say, yeah, Paul, you know what? You, sure, your stride was just something else when you would run, hey? But you know what? If you were stronger in your upper body, if you were stronger, I think on, in the sprints you would have done even better. I don't want to go into that. I don't want to be sidetracked because I'm now getting excited. All right? I know my wife is thinking, it's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> It's encouraging when you see guys in the 100 meter lineup, Kim, Com Kim Collins at 41, still doing it at the highest level. Amen? But the difference is they continued. They didn't stop. They didn't take a break. <laughs> Seriously, that's the difference. People like Carl Lewis, he ran his fastest times when he was over 30. The thing is, I keep saying to my wife, they, the trick is they didn't stop. There was no break. <laughs> anyway, training and mentorship. Some of you are already naturally talented and you can go from good to great just with training and mentorship. When you see certain people, we judge them and we think that person must be so gifted. Some of them, their gift is here, but they're functioning way up by the ceiling. Why? Because they've received mentorship and they've received training. And we see it happening. If you look at the stats, if you look at the stats, what do you see? You see that a lot of fast sprinters where do they originate from? Just genetically. West Africa. No, originate. West Africa. Then, and a lot of them, their ancestors were slaves. So they were the strongest guys. Right? And then as time went by, that's why we've got a lot of very fast Jamaican sprinters. You guys, you, you understand? Okay, because sprinting has a lot to do with your physique and your, your, your muscle structure and things like that. Right? Now, I'm saying to myself, where are the Nigerian or Ghanaian sprinters today? Why weren't we seeing a whole lot of them at the highest level? Why is it that people have to first go to America and then they get great mentorship, great training, great coaching, and then they go from good to great? Are you following me this morning? How desperate are you for mentorship? Do you know that in this room right now, and I'm fortunate because I know people, I know you, I know you, I know you, I know people. We've got some people who are amongst the best in this country, in their field. Right here as we're speaking. How many of you are passionate about radio? Okay, guys, you should be connected with each other. This guy is called Ngobani, Ngobani. This gentleman here, the gentleman here, uh, this guy here, right? Connect. You're, in, you're into film. You're into... Connect with each other. Amen? We've got some of the best people. Some of the best land surveyors around. Where's, where's my brother Tindai? Manyungwa. Some of you are in construction. Connect with each other. There's mentorship opportunity. Amen? We've got great accountants here. Great lawyers here. Great people in the, in the video film industry. Where's Sipo at the back there? Greatness, great people in marketing. Amen? Amen? I would encourage you, use your gifts also for the kingdom. Use your gifts for? 
the kingdom. We want to gather people together who are passionate about social media. Don't just use it for your own thing. Amen? Let's use it for the church. Verse 12, Paul says, That is why I'm suffering as I am. He's talking about the calling, right? He's just spoken about his calling, right? And he says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. So he says, I'm a preacher. I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher. Then he says, that's why I'm suffering as much as I am. My question to you, and this point number 11, do you know the trials and challenges that come with your gift mix? He says, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. If you are called to be a prophet, do you know the sufferings and trials that prophets go through? Prophets very often have to experience rejection in their lives, so that they're comfortable being rejected by people without changing the word that they release. Amen? And it's the test, isn't it? It's a test. If you say, I'm called to be a kingdom financier, very often you'll go through faith tests where there'll be nothing and you have to believe God for finances. Why? So that you shift from seeing your boss as your source to God being your source. And you see, when you understand the sufferings and trials that are associated with your calling, you're able to deal with it. You know it, it just comes with the territory. Amen? It comes with the territory. Sometimes you'll hear people talking about uh, an injury in sport, like what happened to Andre de Grasse, right? Where he pulled his hammy just before uh, these world championships. And he says, you know what? It is very disappointing because I was in great form, but I'm grateful for the success I've had up until now and the gift that I've got. He was able to deal with his setback in a healthy manner because he understands sport. You see some guys when they don't do well in, um, in soccer, and what do you hear them saying? They say a whole lot of things in the end. They say, hey, but that's football. How many of you know that there's a risk when you decide I'm going to be a Formula One Grand Prix racer? I saw that they're hitting top speeds. There's a guy called um, Montoya. How many of you are into Formula One? Earlier on this year, he broke the record in terms of top speed, 372 kilometers an hour. How many of you know that you can't go into that sport and be like, Lord, why did I crash the other day? I crashed! And you're surprised. It's what we call occupational hazards. An occupational hazard. These are hazards that go with certain things that we choose to focus on. Amen? Do you know the occupational hazards of your calling? How many of you know that when you're called to greatness, there will be persecution? How many of you know that you can be excited about, hey, I'm a leader and I have the gift of leadership? How many of you know that leadership can sometimes be a very lonely space? Now, if you don't understand that from the get-go, you'll be disillusioned. How come no one likes me? How come people are deserting me? That's what happens. That's the journey of leadership. Amen? Look at David. We get excited because David was anointed by Samuel. You're going to be the next king. But how many of you know that he still had to deal with Goliath? How many of you know that he still had to deal with Saul chasing him? Some of you have souls in your life chasing you. But they're chasing you because of what you're called to. Saul would not have been chasing David if David had not been anointed to become king. Amen? Some of you, things are chasing you. Demons are chasing you. When you go to bed at night, you're like, oh, take cover. Demons are chasing me. It's because of the calling of God on your life. Amen? Do you know how to resist you can say, oh, I'm a coach. Oh, I'm a pastor. My wife had, had a certain experience where, um, I don't know if it was a counseling experience or something, and then she said to me, yo, that's quite hectic. My love, how do you cope with stuff? Because that's what I live with every day. In my coaching business, in pastoring and counseling lots of people, counsel lots of marriages and so on. So with the calling, you get the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen? 
My question to you is, can you handle it? There used to be an old rap song, because I can handle it. Do you remember from way back? I'm dating myself now, because I can handle it. Number 12, you must know the giver of the gifts and the calling. Paul the Apostle here says, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. My question to you is, while you're trying to accomplish your calling, do you know him? Do you know the one whom you've believed? What do you do to remain intimate with Christ? What does abiding in Christ look like in your life? And look what he goes on to say. He says something so powerful. He says, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What who has entrusted to who? What Paul has entrusted to him. So God entrusts you with gifts. But there are things that you entrust him with. And he guards that which you've entrusted him with. Some of you have got stuff in your life that you haven't entrusted him with. God will guard that which you've entrusted him with. Do you get that revelation? Entrust him with stuff. Entrust him with all your concerns and he will guard that. He will guard the things concerning you. He goes on to say in verse 13, what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us please catch this guard the good deposit that was entrusted in you so point number 13 you are called to guard what has been deposited in you my question to you is do you know what has been deposited in you if a lady is pregnant Hopefully she knows that there's a deposit in her. Amen? If she smokes, she drinks and doesn't care about herself, she's not guarding it. And she will kill what has been deposited in her. Amen? Do you know that the thing that has been deposited in you is a good deposit? He says, guard the good deposit. You see, if you're envying someone else, it means you don't see what's in you as good. It's time for us to appreciate what God has placed in us. What God has put in you is good. Say to the person next to you, I've got a good thing in me. Now God, that good thing. Some of you look at yourselves and you don't see what he's put in you and you spend your whole life envious of other people. How do you guard what he's placed in you? You thank him for it. You stir up the gift. We said last week, we spoke about fanning into flame the gift of God that is in you. Amen? That's how you guard it. My question to you this morning is, do you know what has been deposited in you? Is it a sincere faith like Timothy had deposited in him, passed on from his mother and his grandmother? Is it the teaching ability? Are there specific gifts that have been deposited in you? Guard them. Do you see those things as a good deposit or do you see it as an average deposit? Do you see it as a bad deposit? Like, Lord, what you placed in me was bad. The revelation you have about what you carry will determine the extent to which you guard it. The revelation you have about what you carry will determine the extent to which you guard it. In my life, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit because I know what I carry. It's what we call guarding the anointing. Do you know what you carry? Some of you, your lifestyles, you do certain things, you live out certain things, and it's clear you're not aware of what you're carrying. How many of you know that if I have to carry a glass vase, there's a way I carry it? Because I know it's glass, and if I drop it, it will break. Fragile, handle with care. When the Holy Spirit flows through your life, fragile, handle with care. Why? The Bible tells us do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen? Do you know what you carry? Are you guarding what you carry? Do you know the real weight of what you carry? Do you know that your life is not ordinary? For some of you, that's just the first step. Getting a revelation saying, God, can you show me the real weight of what I carry? What I carry will determine who I associate with. What I carry will determine what I speak out and what I say and what I don't say. 
One of the ways we don't guard what has been deposited in us is what we say about it. Sometimes we speak down on what God has called us to. We speak about it like it's some useless rubbish thing. Amen? Sometimes we judge other people, but the Bible tells me that with the same measure I judge, I will be judged. I don't want that. Do you know the real weight of what you carry? And do you know how to guard what is in you? How do you guard what's in you? Watch what you say about it. Don't be friends with fear when it comes to your calling. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't envy other people. Have the right motives in what you do. And then I love the way it says, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us. Amen. You can't do it in your own strength. Do you know what the enemy's strategy is against your destiny? Ask God. Lord, what's the enemy's strategy against my destiny? Oh, it's evil alliances. Oh, I must guard myself. Oh, it's my low self-esteem. I must guard myself from that. What's the enemy's strategy? And he knows. You know, the enemy knows based on past experience. He knows what will get you out of your destiny based on past experience, because we've all had it. He sees when we're discouraged. He sees when we begin to question the call of God on our lives. It's important to be alert, to watch, and to pray. Amen? In verse 15 it says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Hey, Paul went through stuff, huh? Everyone in the province, not just one person, not just two. Everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Do you know what this shows me? Being deserted by people is a common thing. It's something that happens. And then he says, including Figelis and Hermogenes. These guys had interesting names, eh? Now here's an interesting principle. You can desert your post. I'll talk a bit about that in a couple of weeks. And you can desert people who are linked to your post. You can desert what? Your post. And you can desert the very people you're called to. If I'm called to you, do you know that I can desert you even at an emotional level? I can still be here physically preaching to you but not love you. You can desert people. There are things that harden us, ladies and gentlemen. So I can desert someone at an emotional level. Unlike Paul who would say, I long to see you with tears. You can also desert people where right now God is saying, I've called this person to mentor you. I've called this person to take you from good to great. You can end up deserting that person. Now watch this. He says, may the Lord, verse 16, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. Why? He says, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. That's very powerful. There are people you should search hard for. There are people linked to your destiny and your calling that you should just be fighting, fighting, fighting to get to meet with them and connect with them. Amen? I believe this guy had a revelation of who Paul was in his life. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. And then number 14, we are called to be desperate to find what we need in order to fulfill our calling. Onesiphorus fought hard to find Paul. Who's the Paul in your life? Okay, I know that maybe it's double speak, but you've got Pauls in your life, ne? You've got Pauls. You've got people in your life, and, and you know who those people are. Are you fighting hard for that relationship? Why was he so desperate to find Paul? He knew the link between his calling and his alliance with Paul. You see, deserting someone linked to your calling or deserting a God-given post is often a sign that you don't understand your calling. 
And remember when I talk about posts, I'm not necessarily talking about physical posts. Like you are this person, you are an apostle there, you are this here. There are posts in the spirit. Some of you might not have a leadership position in the church, but you've got a post of watchman, but you've deserted it. You can desert a spiritual post. Amen? You can desert a what? A spiritual post. I'm going to end there. I'm going to end there.